Hi guys, this is Clint McGill and you are listening to the Baseball Notes Podcast. Today's guest is Jeff Baginero. Jeff pitched for seven seasons professionally with the Chicago White Sox organization and has been a pitching coach in the Diamondbacks organization for the last seven years. Along with graduating several major leaguers, Jeff was named the Cal League Coach of the Year for his work as the pitching coach for the Visalia Rawhide just this past season in 2017. In today's interview, Jeff and I talk about a number of topics, from why he hates towel drills to the one pitch that's transforming today's game that's practiced by virtually nobody at the lower levels and very few people at the professional levels. Jeff also shares a story about how he first got a coaching job with the Diamondbacks that is just flat out crazy. This story comes early in the conversation and I just can't wait for you to hear. A lot of really useful information in this one, guys. So without further ado, here's my talk with Jeff Baginero. So how long have you been involved in the game? I played, I was drafted in 2000. Let's see. Uh, I'd say right around 15 years. Um, I played from 2000 to 2008, retired in 2008 due to a shoulder injury. I had two surgeries, tried to come back. Didn't didn't happen. I did everything I could, you know, and it was the same feeling after two surgeries. It's really frustrating. Right. You know, I worked my tail off. But, uh, yeah, so I played for, you know, parts of eight seasons with the rehab included, you know what I mean? And then I, I had a little two, three-year break there in the middle, and I just missed the game a lot, and I fought to get back in. Once you're out, it's tough to get back in, and so I really had to fight and scrape to – uh it's a good story that goes with that, but we can tell that later or something. Um, <laughs> and then I just finished my seventh year coaching, so 15, 16 years okay. in the game. Okay. Well, well, tell me how you got back in. I'd like to hear that. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, I had just, I mean, I made lists. I got one of those baseball prospectus, whatever that has like emails of the teams, you know, and it could be the generic email. Um, but I tried to get any contact I could with, you know, player development emails and every phone number I can get, every contact ever made baseball I called and was trying to get in. And I was doing it at the right time. It was like, I think June, July, okay. did it early enough. And um, I made a contact with Mike Bell, who I played with in AAA in 2004 in Charlotte with the White Sox. Played with him for a month. And he was the field coordinator at the time for the Diamondbacks. Um, I called him. He was, they were actually in Tucson training still, and I and he just said, "Hey, come on down. I'd love to just chat. You say hi. I haven't seen you in a long time." So I go down in shorts and you know a collared shirt. I'm not dressed up for any interview, but as soon as they practice, he brought me into the office with uh, the pitching coordinator, the player development um, guy, and him. So it was the three of them. They just sat me down, and started asking questions, you know, and it, it was really <laughs> low key. But at the same time, I really wasn't prepared to, you know, get into stuff. And I was like, "Wow, man." I said, I'm just looking to get in. I love the game, and I, I know I can be a good teacher, whatever. So that initiated a conversation, and the player development guy, it was Mike Berger at the time, goes, you know what? I, I'm not going to read any emails. I don't read emails. I get a 1,000 emails a day. You know, I just put delete on all this, and he was hilarious. And he goes, <laughs> the only way you will get my attention come September, October, when we're actually hiring, if we are hiring, is if you send me a pizza with a resume in it because you know what? Everybody opens a pizza box. Everybody opens a pizza box, but I'm not opening that email with your resume in it. And I go, and I'm just, I put it away. I kind of followed it away as yeah, the guy's joking. Right. Right. But come September, 
I go down to Domino's and I got a medium pizza box. <laughs> okay. And I put ten re- I put ten resumes in it, and I put a you know a little funny letter, typed it up, I taped it in there. It was a clean box, obviously, and I FedExed it to him. Then it cost like eleven bucks, you know. I'm like, this might be the best eleven bucks I ever spent in my life. Right. Send it to Mike Berger, one guy. I didn't send it to all thirty teams. I sent it to him because it was an inside joke. And man, I was so excited just to hear back from him because I knew at least he'd last, you know. Right. I didn't hear anything for a month, and I was so disappointed. <laughs> and so one night, I'm sitting on the couch watching TV, and I get a call, and I'm like, "Who is calling me?" And it's him, and he goes. Badge, I just got back into town, and I haven't checked my mail in forever, and I just got your pizza box, and I am dying. I went around. I'm showing everybody this thing. This is great. And he said, you know what? We do have some stuff opening up, and I want you on our team. I'm like, are you serious? Unbelievable. So all that to say, I never got a true formal interview. We had a sit-down, and we had a conversation. But because of that and whatever sense of humor that was, uh-huh. You know, he's like, I want that guy with us. So, I mean, I don't know what that says, but that's my story, and I'm still there. So, Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, just getting creative there is, uh, I think there's a lesson for people that are, you know, calling on, uh, you know, cold calling the, the coaches, you know what I mean? They're they're uh, like yeah. college kids, you know what I mean? I know kids are just spamming everybody. Everybody's got their email out there, and it's just automatic delete, you know? So, a little creativity oh, can yeah. go a long way there, so uh, that's that's hilarious. And so you're in Visalia right now um, as the pitching coach. Is uh, where, where have you been? Is that your first year there? It was my second year. I spent three years in the Arizona League, which is very hot. Um, mm-hmm. Got a lot, a lot of learning. A lot of good years there. I mean, I mean one year would have been great, but three years, <laughs> man. You, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about. Um, you know, that level of play. Um, I spent, I then went to Missoula for two years, which is more of an advanced rookie ball. Right. Older college guys more. Um, spent two years in Missoula. Beautiful, beautiful town. Oh my gosh. I love that town. My family loved it. Um, we had two great summers up there and then I got the job in Visalia for the last two years. So, so let's, let's rewind the tape a little bit. Let's go back to you as a, as a pitcher now. Um, as, as a pitcher, what was your biggest strength? My biggest strength, I mean, flat out, I was, I was six foot with spikes on. I mean, I was strong. Um, I, I developed late. My biggest strength was my aggressive um, approach on the mound. Some of that was because I was always a two. I was a two A player in college. I went to University of Oklahoma and I played right field and I closed. And you know, I pitched in high school and all that stuff. But I took two years off in JUCO. And I just was a position player. And I think that mentality really carried over. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was extremely aggressive, almost to a fault. Um, I just attacked and I said, hit it if you can hit it. Um, and I went right at guys. I mean, that, that was more of my younger, my early career. You know, I developed as a pitcher later on, but that was definitely my strength. Um, I did have somewhat of an invisible. I, w- I was told. You know, I was anywhere from ninety ninety. I was anywhere from ninety ninety five, but you know, as I got on, actually, my velo went down a little bit. So I was I'd sit ninety ninety three, but I'd just throw right by guys, and I'm sitting there. I, I I didn't really understand it, but my catcher would always tell me, just they can't see it. It it looks like a like a cue ball or something. But I, I obviously, 
something mechanically. I was straight over the top. I think I hit the ball a little bit, and it just it just got on guys. So. And so when you say you, the guys weren't seeing it, was it more with with the breaking pitches and off speed, or was it with the fastball too? Um, well, majority of it was fastball. I would blow a fastball right by guys, and it was straight as can be. I call it a. I threw it. You know, you got the two seam and the four seam. I always said I threw a twelve seamer. It was that straight. <laughs> I had zero movement. Uh huh. And so that's but, uh, interesting. But I, yeah. I did the uh, the two-way plane a little bit, too. I was a position player my entire life. I did the junior college route, too, and uh, went to Fresno nice. City College. And uh, didn't even pitch there, but when I got to Loyola Marymount as a senior, they're they're kind of reliant on some two-way players. They don't get, you know, the school's expensive, so you don't get a lot of walk-ons. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so anyway, I, I had a good fastball, and so I got up there, and uh, I don't know. Like, it was kind of the same thing a little bit. Like, I always was had played behind guys that – you know, we're nibbling or just kind of getting behind in counts. And I'm just like, here we go. Like, I got a fastball, guys, you know, and had decent success mm -hmm. with it. And, you know, I never really kind of added it up that, you know, being a little bit more aggressive might have come from being a position player, you know, as opposed to spending, yeah. your, spending your entire life kind of watching balls go into the gap or something. I don't know. Maybe 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 that's what it is. You know what I mean? But so anyway, what was your uh, biggest weakness then that you think that you, when you're looking back at your career? I, I, I guess I would say that's a tough one to just, I didn't have a changeup forever, mm -hmm. and I, to be honest, I didn't have a great breaking ball until later on. Uh, being an outfielder, I I just came in and threw as hard as I could, you know. And I had a little curveball that I'd always had, you know, when I was 14, 15, 16. Right. That I learned, but it wasn't great. It was just a show me pitch, and I'm going to go back to the heater. So mm -hmm. early on in rookie ball, I had a, a, a knuckle curve and a, and a fastball. So I got to rookie ball. My first pitching coach taught me a slider, and it, it took a little while to catch on. I I couldn't throw a changeup to save my life till Triple A, and mm -hmm. and I was always a late inning. I was always a late inning guy, mostly a closer, but I didn't need it as much. But I feel like that was really a weakness. And 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 to take it a step further, I'd say my biggest weakness when I finally made it to the big leagues. Mm -hmm. was not trusting my was not trusting my stuff um you know you go from being a closer in the minor leagues to you know you get to the big leagues you're gonna be the mop-up guy you're gonna they'll throw you a bone every now and again in an inning but you're in situations where the game's out of hand or it almost doesn't matter and that seemed to be what i was in every game and the catcher's just throwing down one 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 and at, at that point in my career i didn't have the heater that i did early on and i that's not who I was. Mm -hmm. At that point, I actually had a really good changeup. I developed a palm ball, which is pretty rare, but I just made it up one day in AAA, and it started throwing, and it was filthy. And that was my pitch. I'd throw 2-0-3-1, you know, 1-0, whenever I wanted. And they would never call it. I'd shake to it. They'd just throw down the one again. And so, for me, that, that got me killed. <laughs> I mean, I gave up more home runs in the big leagues than I ever did in the minor leagues in a very short amount of time. And yeah, because they're a lot better up there, but also because I just thrown two O heaters, and that was not what I did in the minor leagues. So, so looking so looking back on that, I mean, was there? I mean, were you stuck? I mean, here you are, this rookie. I mean, do you think that you know, if you had to do it over again, would you, you know, talk to the catcher and be like, hey, I know I'm shaking it off, and uh, you're still putting that down there. Yep. I mean, it, would you? How would you have handled that differently if you could do it again? Absolutely, what you just said. I I just. I was up there, and I was always taught to just, when you get up there, shut your mouth, do your job, and work hard. Mm -hmm. And instead of going out there and finding 
at the time, the catchers, I think, were, were Sandy Alomar Jr., A.J. Przinsky, uh Ben Davis was around. Um, those were the guys that were kind of there. I didn't ever seek those guys out. I just got in the game and threw. So they had no idea, you know, unless they had caught me in the bullpen, which, you know, they didn't do that up there. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what I even had, except when I go out there to pitch in the game. And so that's, that's on me, and that's something I teach my guys now. I'm like, as soon as you get to a new city, you need to go find your manager first, your pitching coach second, hitting coach around, find him too. And then you find your catcher immediately and you just start talking and start the dialogue because there's a huge fault of mine. And, and I, you know what? I'll put it on them too. They didn't seek me out either and they were the veterans. But right. but it's on me, you know, um, and it cost me. And it's not an excuse. It's just fact. You know, it happened. Yeah, and, no I, and I own it, but but I, I look back and go, dang man, I I could have done better, could have given myself a better chance at least, you know. Right, right. Because I was always taught that it's it's hard to get there for sure. It's very hard, but it's way harder to stick. And that was, I just got there and then I was gone. You know what I mean? And that happens to a lot of people, but I think Do I could have you... influenced that a little bit more. Do you think, because you said that, you know, when you didn't trust your stuff enough, was there any bit of a kind of an imposter syndrome going on? I feel like that's a big problem with a lot of guys that move up and suddenly they're they're on the mound and they're facing Mike Trout and they're just like, okay, you know, just like a, you know, <laughs> my stuff worked there in double A, but now I'm, you know, they're just not giving a full effort. Was that, did you feel like that was, was uh, at play with your career too or no? A little bit. I don't know if I was ever scared or anything like that. I mean, you're aware of who's in the box. I mean, sure. I didn't face too many, too many great, great hitters, but you know, the ones I remember I faced Barry Bonds is Ichiro and Vladimir Guerrero were the ones that really stand out. And I got Guerrero and Bonds to pop out and Ichiro hit a chopper off the plate to bounce over the first baseman's head. Like uh-huh. as he's holding the runner on. <laughs> and I just, I, I just threw straight. I go, I'm going to throw him a fastball because you know, odds are he's going to get hit. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I go, I'm just going to attack him with my stuff. And th- that was actually the time I was like, I'm not even intimidated because you just assume they're going to have success. So it wasn't always, I didn't, I didn't pitch them very smart, but I got two of them out. So, right. But I know exactly what you're talking about mentally, that imposter syndrome where, where you just kind of, I, you can probably explain a little better than I can, but. No, yeah, yeah, I actually encountered that. I never even heard of the imposter syndrome when I read it in a uh, it was like a business book or something like that years ago. And uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I haven't played in I don't know twelve years, thirteen years, something. Like that. It's been it's been a long time now. And uh, and I read it several years after I was done playing. I like closed the book and I was like, that's that's what I did. You know, like I, I struggled really? with that. Yeah, because I you know I was went from junior college to. You know, one division one, and then to another division one, and then and every every step along the way was, you know, I don't know if I belong here type deal, you know. And then yeah, I'd go right. out and have success, and it was like, okay, cool, and like now we're good. And uh, went to spring training, did fine, and then uh, my first year in the Sally League, uh, first month was okay. I was like a utility guy, so I didn't play all the time. But then I, I started struggling. And then it was just that little demon in your mind was like, uh oh, you know, maybe maybe you don't belong here. And, and looking back. You know, a lot of guys that I played with who were, were good, um, but not necessarily more talented, you know, were able to do some things, maybe make the big leagues and what have you. And I'm thinking like, man, you know, I don't think I gave myself the best shot because I think I was kind of undercutting myself more than I should be. I feel like there's, you know, a lot of that going on, especially in the big leagues, because you see guys go, get called up 
maybe don't do well, and then they go back to the minors and then get called up a second time, and suddenly they're they're great, just like everybody expected them to be. You know, there's just like almost mm-hmm. like this mental adjustment that takes place. So uh, there's no doubt that that's a great point because the second time I got called up, it was I was way more comfortable. I was like, all right. I, I sucked last year, but they're giving me another shot. They obviously know that I, I do have something. I keep putting up good numbers in my release, so they're going to stick with me. And the second year, I was with the White Sox 2005, and they won the World Series, and they had a big lead in the Central, and they started blowing it in September, and it got down to, I don't even know, maybe three, four games. So they started getting a little tight. We did. Right. And I didn't get too many innings. I didn't get through like four or five innings that whole September. And I'd go two weeks at a time without throwing. But that was the time I actually felt better about myself, and I got off to a really good start. I think of three or four straight scoreless outings. I stranded like five or six runners, and it was like, oh, give me some more opportunities. I finally feel it, you know. Right. But that first year, so many guys, you get up there, and you're like, I finally made it. Don't blow it. Don't let them see who you really are. And instead of just just keep doing the same thing. And it's tough because you got to deal with – I mean, I'm a very – humble guy but even in me saying i'm a humble guy i feel like i'm i'm not humble in saying that you know what i mean yeah and it's that fine line between being a, a competitor that knows that no one will beat me today versus i'm an extremely humble guy because i'm both those things and how does that play in together in the major leagues because or in the minor leagues it doesn't matter it's anywhere college because you, you have to be both you can't just be a I don't want to say it. You can't just be a jerk, <laughs> right? you know, your whole career. You have to have some humility about yourself, but also be an extreme competitor. So right. Right. I always I always battled those two things. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Like, because nobody likes the cocky guy, but when you really look at it, I mean, that's not the worst trait to have as a baseball player. You know, I'm sure there's... No, on there's, the field, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of guys in the major leagues who are less talented than some minor leaguers, but they believe in their stuff. They're up at the plate. They're, you know, they're expected to get a hit or, you know, they expect to get an out when they're on the mound and uh, they have more conviction than a more talented guy in the minors. And, you know, I'll take the cocky guy, you know, so you got to walk that line a little bit. It sounds like so. You do. All right. I want to think of a, uh, a failure of yours. Do you have any sort of a, a, a favorite failure, a sort of a crossroads of your career where, um, you know, it seemed like a failure at the time, but maybe set you up for success later on? A couple of things that have happened in my career, I wouldn't say they're failures, but that were real setbacks that sure. um, propelled me. But I, I'm going to, I'll go with this one, first of all. And it's not a failure on my part, anything I could have prevented. But when I was 15 years old, I was, and I was in high school. At the, I actually skipped fourth grade. I, I say this, I used to be smart. Um, <laughs> so I was always a year behind in high school. I was a small guy that run, you know. Uh-huh. I always put up good numbers, but I didn't throw hard. I didn't get looked at. But I was 15 going into my junior year, and I had some elbow issues. I go to the doctor, and, I mean, he wasn't a specific baseball doctor, but, you know, he had done some work, you know, mm-hmm. wasn't a Yoakum or a Andrews. But point was, he, he looked me in the eye, my dad, I'm sitting on the table, I'll never forget this, and this was, shoot, 24 years ago. I remember everything about the room, the scene, and he goes, yeah, you're going to need surgery on your elbow. Um, we're going to do an ulnar nerve transposition. Basically, it's going to move the, the funny bone, the ulnar nerve over. And it, it's looking at it now, it's not even a big deal of surgery, right? Right. I think I was out for a month or two, and that was it. And I started throwing again. But he looked me in the eye. He goes, yeah, you, 
you're never going to pitch again. You could probably play like second or the outs or something. You're not going to be able to pitch again. And I, and I was like, what? I mean, as a 15 year old boy, this is my life. And I'm, right. I, I was bawling. I was crying. I'm like, my dad's like consoling me. I'm like looking back and I go, what the heck was this doctor thinking telling a kid that he doesn't know me. He does. I mean, terrible education on his part for telling me that seriously and so was it tommy so john was, for, it, was, that, was that a tommy john that he gave you? no oh. ulnar nerve transposition okay i was I throwing in a month okay i got you I, I but but as a 15 year old that drove me as a 15 year old shoot i was 20 i was 25 years old and that still drove me i mean i was <laughs> i i was out to prove him wrong my entire career oh no kidding and, no. uh between that and the other story that I always tell, whether it's at a camp or a school or whatever, is I was a freshman in high school and I did a paper on, it was, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was like a, you know, career project type of thing. So I interviewed this minor league coach that I knew that coached my little league team. I, I did all this research on baseball players. I turned in my paper. It was outstanding. And he gave me a, a B plus. And I, I mean, I was a, pretty good student you know but I, I knew that was an a paper right and he wrote in the back he goes this is a great paper but it's not a realistic job so i had to give you a b <laughs> so <laughs> this, this this teacher went on to win the disney teacher of the year award on the disney channel that year no way and <laughs> i swear so this <laughs> is like my story this guy told me that it's not a real career, and now I've been in the game for 16 years or whatever. But, you know, I don't always encourage kids to use others as motivation. You should be able to motivate yourself. But in my life, those two things really, really pushed me. I was constantly overlooked in high school. There's always better players than me. I mean, I think I still hold the high school ERA title, whatever that means. But I was the littlest guy that didn't throw that hard. And everyone, I was overshadowed by everyone. So what I tell my guys and what I teach players wherever I go is that, like, just to get an edge, because everyone's good nowadays. Everyone, Everyone's working. Everyone's got social media to learn and has their own personal coaches. But the one thing that you can use to motivate you to gain an edge is, is, is to be overlooked. Imagine yourself being overlooked. Because a lot of kids were overlooked, and they use that as, to propel, propel themselves. But then there's the kids that were overlooked in the other sense of the word, where they were looked at so hard by scouts and schools, and they were looked at, and you know what I'm saying? Right. And they got so much attention that they, they got lazy and they stopped working. So it goes both ways. You can be overlooked as a player and not get looked at, and overlooked meaning looked at too much. So regardless of those two scenarios, you have to be the guy that gets uses that and never stops working because it is cliche. The hard work is cliche, but man, if you don't have that desire and that drive and that work ethic, you're, it's you're, it's already over. Seriously. Right. Yeah. So, no. I'm. Uh, that's funny. We have a similar story. I was, uh, I was always the little kid growing up, and then to compound it, I, like puberty was just not happening. Like I was just like, when <laughs> is this gonna get here? You know what I mean? Like my friends are sixteen. I think my driver's license said I was 5'2", and I was stretching it, you know what I mean? And just baby-faced, and my work ethic, I, you know, I, I, I prided myself on my work ethic. Very few guys that I played with, or, you know, I'd say 
I'd like to say nobody, but maybe I'm, you know, exaggerating, worked as hard as I did, you know? And that mostly comes back from, you know, when I was that little shrimpy kid, it wasn't fair that, you know, I, I could barely get out of the infield as a hitter. And, you know, these other guys are hitting bombs and it's just because they're bigger. And then, you know, finally when I got bigger, you know, things kind of added up and I had been, you know, had good fundamentals because I, I had to, to compete. And so combined and, you know, things took off from there. But that work ethic came from me just trying to prove myself and, you know, having a real chip on my shoulder about it too. You know what I mean? So, uh, so I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Okay. So um, coming back to today's game, you know, what's something that you see commonly taught that you really don't agree with? Um, this is just a more of a pet peeve. I, I can't stand towel drills. Let me just say that. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I, again, I've been at lower levels and for five years I've been rookie ball. And there are, there's always going to be certain people that are very, I don't want to say this, they're not as progressive as others or they're very old school in their methods. Um, right. There's always a time and place for certain things, especially when done correctly. I've seen towel drills done correctly, but it is so rare that a guy will maintain his delivery and do that whole process just like you throw the baseball. Mm-hmm. I will take my phone out and video guys doing towel drills and show them what they look like, and they're just shocked. They're jumping out with their front side. They got, they're collapsing their front leg. I mean, it is atrocious, some of the photos I have and, and stills and videos. <laughs> and so I'm just like, what are we working on right now? What are you improving? Because you just go no towel. You can do some dry work, do some dry work, you know? Well, what is or, the purpose of a towel? Like, I, I, that's not something that I ever did. I was, like I said, uh, I moonlighted as a pitcher for a minute, but I've seen everybody do it. But, I, I mean, what's – is it basically just giving you something to it's, hold? It's just like, you know, as a pitcher, you just can't throw that often. Like, a hitter can go do T-work, cage work all day long and, uh, okay. you know, get better. We can't throw all day long, so we got to come up with something. That's what we've come up with. Gotcha. Now, I, so – Early on, we just I just did it, you know, because I didn't even know. I was new to coaching. But as I got on, I'm, like, trying to do, you know, research. I'm doing a video. got what guys look like. And I'm like, this isn't right, man. And I just – I so I just – it's my hugest pet peeve in pro ball, college, whatever you want to call it, or wherever you want to go. But um, it's taught often, and it, it needs to change. Or it needs to be done properly, at least, you know. Well, what... I, I just encourage my – go ahead. No, I was I was about to say. So, what do you? I mean, if guys are wanting to get some some work in without throwing the ball, do you? Is there any way that uh, you like to see your guys do it? I mean, I would rather have a guy just do some mirror work in the in the weight room, or or do it with no ball, and just go through slowly. Just go through and get some feel of your legs and your delivery. You don't have to throw. Just just come up and down and, and feel your legs and 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 more than that. You know, once you do your throwing program or once you do your long toss or whatever you got for that day, if, if you don't have a bullpen, if you're not throwing the game, and even if you are as like a reliever, our guys get off the mound like nearly every day. I would mm-hmm. rather have a guy throw 10 pitches off the mound with the, either the catcher up or the catcher right behind the plate just to get a feel of the slope and, and to throw some pitches and to feel the delivery at, you know, 75, 80% than – them to do towel drills you know and and i get it, it it's something that makes you feel better because you did some work right but there's other things you can be doing so that that's that's the biggest one for me 
um, and you say you're always a constant learner. Is there something that you've changed your mind on in the last few years? I don't know if there's any I've changed my mind on, but I'm just constantly, again, I'm, I'm seven years into coaching and, and as a, as a player, I don't think I ever thought I would coach. I wasn't that guy that go, Oh, when I'm done, I'm going to coach. Right. So I wasn't, I wasn't ever asking questions. I wasn't really learning. I just did it and I went and I just sprinted as fast as I could. And, you know, as a metaphor towards the big leagues and all that, Mm-hmm. And I just went and I don't think I took the time to appreciate what was being taught. I didn't appreciate what I could have been learning on the bench from my pitching coach on days I wasn't pitching. Maybe um, point is I'm seven years in and, and I'm, it's like, I feel like I'm in college now. You know what I mean? Right. Went through high school was rookie ball. Now I'm in my third year of college. I feel like I'm getting there. I'm getting more of an advanced degree now, but I'm not there yet. And so I definitely feel like there's some key points to get to at the delivery mechanically. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big feel guy. If guys can't feel something, it's, it's not working. I got to rephrase how I'm teaching it. Um, I'm big right now into tunneling pitches, sequencing, and you set, um, two pitches coming out of the same tunnel and doing different things. Um, um, I'm, I love the way that the curveball is being used today, the, the way the game's changing. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, early on, I was just a big slider guy, and it, I mean, this is the last couple of years, but you see what curveballs are doing to hitters, and then the high fastball that plays off it. I'm, I love that stuff. So the curveball, because that you know, I've been watching that. You know, obviously Trevor Bauer and everything. Everybody's talking about you know his pitch he's throwing and everything. Uh, so like just the vertical, you know, change of plane basically. Because I know the slider. You know, I had a buddy of mine that. You know, he had a curveball through the minor leagues, did well, and then as soon as he got to the big leagues with the Cubs, boom, like, we need sliders out of you. That's it. You know, we want everything to be hard. And, as, you know, we need that, you know, the, the loopy pitch. It's not going to work. So he tried to do it and, right. you know, had, you know, I guess bad success. You know, I, I'd hate to say that. He's so accomplished, you know what I mean? But, you know, didn't go as well as he wanted yeah. it to. And um, anyway, but, yeah, but you are seeing it more. So is it more just like the, the up and down that, that guys are being more attracted to again? Yeah, I mean, the game changes, you know. And as much as I say it doesn't change, it, it does change and it evolves. And and we got to evolve with it. I mean, yeah, the game went from all sliders. I mean, it went from curveball, and then it went to the slider, and now it's going back a little bit to curveball, or both at least. And the slider's a great pitch. Mm-hmm. You know, not too much damage is done down and away if you can spot that thing up. It looks like a heater and it just breaks off. And it's later and, you you know, and all that. I love right. it. I just like the fact that we're adjusting to the hitters and all these, the launch angle. And uh, if everyone is swinging up, trying to meet the ball down in the zone, you have to adjust and start changing eye levels with the fastball. And you have to be pitching up smart, not waste pitches, but quality pitches in good spots that set up the next pitch. Mm-hmm. And whether you get a swing and a foul ball or a pop-up or a swing and miss, the next pitch is set up. Now you can do anything you want. You, you've elevated their eyes up in the zone. Now you can go back down with a curveball. And the thing, beautiful thing about the curveball is that it, a power curveball, not a loopy one. Right. But what it does is it's coming right in there and it drops off the table. So they see a high fastball and then it's gone. And there's and let's be honest, some curveballs actually have a little up action and then down. So hitters' eyes are constantly messed with. And I, I don't know, man. I've been in eight high A's the last two years in the Cow League, and it's a hitter's league. Mm-hmm. And if you're not making adjustments, 
and just to watch what happens when you actually have a guy that can command quality pitches a little higher in the zone with his fastball mm-hmm. and then and then break something down the zone even if it's like a like more of a slurve slider curveball it, it the pitch plays and it's not that you're trying to make the hitter look stupid it's trying to make the hitter make weak contact you know so right i just like the way i like seeing that stuff i like you know evolving with the games so I gotcha. That's interesting. And so, so with the curveball, it seems like. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but if if you're gonna have a a quality, you know, or an effective curveball, then being able to throw a fastball for a strike or at least command it, you know, chest level is is an important combination. Is that correct? To be able to throw a, a fastball up. I believe so. Yes, I we work on it in bullpens. Mm-hmm. If you if you go watch wherever you're at next, whether it's college pro. You go watch a bullpen, and you tell me how many guys throw a high fastball and actually purposely try to throw one. Mm-hmm. Again, quality chest high fastball. You're not going to see any. Like, and it may be, it might be rare in the big leagues, possibly. But you know, I I've done that the last two years with with guys that can handle it. Right. Guys that have, you know, you're not going to be throwing 84 up in the zone. That's not the smartest thing. But if you got a guy that can command his fastball. He's 90 plus, and you know if he has the, the the pitch mix to go with, you know that combination. Why wouldn't you not work on that in the bullpen? Because I'll tell you a quick story. My very first big league strikeout was an 0-2 fastball to Lance Nix of the Rangers, and my catcher was pretty much standing up. He wanted me to elevate, and I threw the ball right down the middle, uh-huh. and he swung and missed. Luckily, right. But I mean, it was a terrible pitch. Because I had never worked on throwing a high fastball. And the way I threw, I had such down angle, my ball was always down the zone. I, I didn't know how to do it. Right. So if guys aren't working on it in the bullpen, and I'm talking like two to three to four max, you know, just just, to cut, just get a feel of it. Right. You know, that's, that's something we're, we're doing. I mean, that's yeah. not an organizational thing. It's just something I think is smart, you know. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Be able to have that flexibility. I remember hearing uh, Roger Clemens. I think you know that was one of his philosophies was being able to change the hitter's eye level. You know, and um, and yeah. that, that makes it makes a lot of sense setting up, you know, breaking pitches down or you know a curveball or split finger. I think was his pitch. You know, so you know being able to see it, have a guy not just waste one up at his neck. You know what I mean? I obviously he's going to take. You know what I mean? But um, you know, practicing yeah. that is just yeah, like you said, you'll. Go watch 100 bullpens. You probably won't see one pitch that was purposely thrown up there. So, um, absolutely. So no, that's good. But uh, so with the players that you're coaching there in Visalia, um, what's what's the problem that you you keep seeing? What's is there a pattern? Is there anything that you kind of keep seeing as a uh, as what's holding guys back? Whether it's physical, mental, in between. I mean, the same things that always hold guys back. It's it's typically I mean, it's a big jump for guys, especially in our levels. We got. Lowe's in Kane County, which is out in Chicago area, and the weather out there, it, it's definitely a pitcher's league, big-time pitcher's league. So we got a ton of guys that come in having great numbers, low ERAs, all this stuff, and and you come here, and it's like it, it's big difference. And you got a big league over there with, like, I don't know, 15 teams or whatever. Right. So hitters never see the same pitcher. You come to the Cal League, we had eight teams in our league, so you don't – you see seven other teams the whole time. Right. And so they get a good feel of you, man. And if you, if you cannot command your fastball 
to be able to do different things at different times and show them, you know, get you to the lineup three times, you're not going to get to the fifth inning. And that's the thing that you end up finding out. We had a thing this year where just to protect some of our arms and to give them a chance to get going. First month of the year, our starters are going five innings max. It didn't matter if you threw 50 pitches, you're going to go five. And, you know, whether I agree with that or not, I like the fact that we're protecting them early so that they could finish strong. Um, but guys were bitching and moaning and complaining and going, come on, let's, I give, I can go seven if I'm a, said, how about you just give me the five strong and then, then you could talk about, I could have gotten another two innings. And so what we found out is guys are just barely getting through five, if they can even get there. All these guys were complaining about not being able to go seven or eight, you know, Right. So it's an issue, um, but it's also a really good uh, learning experience for these young pitchers. Some of these young prospects coming here and just getting smacked in the face and going, whoa, okay. And then they actually will come to you and go, what do I need to be doing? What can I do? What can you give me? Instead of just, I'm good. I'm good. You know, right. like I talked about when I was pitching, I just, I'm going to do my thing. So leave me alone and I'm going to get out and I'll show you. I never really had that thing where it was like, oh, my gosh, what can I do, coach? Help me. But I'll tell you what, those are the best moments because they actually listen, they actually try stuff, and then they always get better. I mean, it, it, it's 100% of the time they will improve because they're actually open to learning that. Yeah, I could see where that's a real big advantage, just having a having a team in the Cal League. Because I mean, I never played in it, but you know, I had friends that did. And I mean, if you have a four ERA, you might you might be on the All Star team. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's good pitchers with four ERAs. You know, so uh, uh, you know, we're in that Absolutely. range. Absolutely. And uh, and so, I mean, the minor leagues is there to prepare you for the major leagues. So, I mean, if you just want you know to to hit in a cold climate with tall grass and you know heavy air. And, uh, you know, or, or to pitch in that environment and just have a two ERA your whole minor leagues up to the majors. Like, I can see why that's what you want to do, but at the same time, that's not necessarily going to develop you, you know? So, you talk about being an all star with a four ERA. Our team ERA was a 379. We led the league and, uh, with a 379 ERA. So, yeah, there are definitely some all stars, of course. Well, yeah. So, uh, everybody that, uh, that I, I talk to and, and ask those questions here, they love get, uh, drills and gadgets. So, do you have any, any training aids or any drills that you particularly like? The only thing, I don't really use any literal gadgets, but, you know, the one thing we actually started using this year was that um, we call it the clicker. It's that, I'm sure you've seen it, that King of the Hill little. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. King of the thing. Hill. Yeah. He had uh, messaged me in the offseason last year, and he was like, hey, would you mind checking this out? I'll, you know, I'm like, I'm not into too many things like that, but right. I know some of that stuff is helpful and it gives guys a feel. And I said, you know, I'll check it out. It looks pretty cool. And so I did it with my son first and I did it with some guys I do, you know, I work with in the off season. And then I actually told my pitching coordinator about it and he's like, that looks interesting. So we actually got some with the Diamondbacks and we started using them and I like it. And we had it in our bullpen in Visalia and, you know, guys would use it. Not, not all the time, but they definitely would would get on it to get better feel their lower half. And, you know, as the season wears on, you get into some bad habits and you start getting a little, little top heavy upper half, you know, using the upper half a little bit too much. And 
So what does so, it do? I've seen I've seen it. I've just seen like really photographs of it. Does it kind of rock back or something? Is that what you're trying to get it to do? It, well, there's a there's a little uh, wrench that comes with it. You can tighten up the spring, so it you know it can go all the way from little league to big league. Okay. You can tighten that thing up pretty good. So it's got the rubber, and you basically just get on it and pitch on it like a rubber, and and as you go and drive off it'll literally give you a little audible, you'll push back just, you know, just a hair and click. Uh-huh. And then as you push off and release, it'll click again. So it's like a double click. If you're doing it wrong, it won't click either time or it'll only click once. And, and so you're, you know, you're not doing it exactly right. You're trying to engage the lower half. You're trying to engage your glute a little bit. Okay. And uh, so it's pretty interesting. And, you know, that's pretty much all we've really used. I mean, we use, you know, J-bands and stuff like that, of course. Some of our guys use some, some weighted balls, and right. but they're on programs, and, and, you know, they're older, and they're, they're grown men, so. Right, I got gotcha. you. People always ask about the weighted balls, but I'm, I'm, I think there's some benefit to them, but I think you got to be done in the right way, and I, I'm more for 16 and over kind of feel, you know? Yeah. Gotcha. Um, okay, and you said you've got a son. How old's your boy? My son is ten. Ten. Okay, perfect. That's that's oh. what a lot of parents they that listen to this they have uh, a kid about that age. So, final question here: what uh, what's the best advice for you know a young player or a parent of a young player? You know what? The thing I always tell people: just get out and work with your kid, man. If you can do it, and if you can't, get re- do your research and find some qualified people to work with them because there's just there's so much garbage out there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I do the whole lesson thing, but I, to be honest, I despise it. I, I just have a disdain for lessons, you know, it's, it's <laughs> because it's that quick fix. And right. I do it because I feel like I can add value and I can have some teaching and I can help some people. Right. And in the end I could, I could help that kid become his own teacher and, or help the parent become the teacher, you know, by what I give them. But th- there is a lot of crap out there and guys, aren't qualified and playing pro ball, I mean, doesn't automatically teach you everything you need to know to give lessons. It definitely helps, you know, but right. I'm just saying it from experience. I didn't know what I was doing early on. I was mm-hmm. making stuff up, just trying to help the best I could. Um, so my point is though, as a parent, get out there working with a kid. My dad is a quick, funny story. My dad was a big-time athlete in high school. Little guy, but he played football. He ran track. He wrestled. He actually did gymnastics one year, he told me. And he was, I mean, I know, it kind of makes me laugh just thinking about my dad and tights right. or whatever they were. Right, but, right. Um, but he was an animal on the football field, too, a little five-foot-nine little animal. Anyways, he used to make fun of his best friend who actually played baseball. And he goes, Oh, you're going to go play baseball and run around and touch all the fluffy white pillows. And um, he literally would say that every time it was so annoying. Right. And, uh, come to find out, he's like, well, maybe my kid should play baseball. And so I, and another story, eight years old at the dinner table, my dad goes, Hey Jeff, I signed you up to play baseball. I had no idea what baseball was. At eight years old, can you believe that? Uh, no, that's, and I got that's under crazy. the table. I, I got under the table, and like a little baby, I started crying. And because he just said you, he forced me to play, you know. And right. so, I, I was just upset because I was afraid of being embarrassed. And so he goes, "You can play one year, and you never have to play again." 
And in saying that, he didn't know anything about baseball. So he bought every book and video he could find. He took me out in the backyard every single day and hit me grounders. We'd pitch off the mound. We'd do three innings off the mound. And basically an inning was, you know, three strikes and ten out. Right. And he would catch me. And I would drill him in the shins all the time because he couldn't catch. Uh-huh. And when we got him shin guards for Christmas one year. Oh, that's funny. And he ended up, I mean, he put a batting cage in our backyard. And I know that's not a luxury everyone has, but right. he had a, one of those jugs machine in a cage. And, I mean, he had the Tom Seaver pitching book. He had the Nolan Ryan pitcher's Bible. He had, you know, it's just, to, I'm looking back as a dad now, and I see what he, I still have the books that he had. And he has, like, in this old Tom Seaver book, he has highlights everywhere. And I'm just like, he didn't know what he was doing, but he took the time to try to learn, figure some things out, and help his kid. And he and he went every day out there, and we, we'd spend time doing it. So that's the one piece of advice I'd really give, you know, especially to the younger younger kids, parents. Just go work with a kid, man. I mean, it's, it's hard, and it's time-consuming, and you get off work, and you're just tired. But that's the biggest thing that helped me. And it also instilled a work ethic. I didn't always want to do it, but he made me do it. And I actually came to love it because I felt so good that I, I did that every day. You know, it was like right uh, the satisfaction of, you know, the hard work. So there you have it. I really enjoyed talking with Jeff, and you can just tell he's a really good dude. I love what he said about practicing the high fastball. I've never heard that before, and I don't think many pitchers have. That can be a really useful pitch on occasion, so pitchers really need to be working on that. So, really good takeaway. And if you want more information on the King of the Hill trainer or more information on the podcast, I have a link for both in the show notes at www.baseballnotes.co backslash podcast. And to stay up to date with other content that we're providing, please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the Baseball Notes podcast on iTunes. So thank you so much for listening today and go crush it out there and I will hopefully talk to you soon.